The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. Spiritual inventory part one. Our theme verse, I want us to read that together. If you could go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's actually the last chapter in 2 Corinthians. Paul was a pastor, and he planted the church in Corinth. Corinth was a, just a very secular pagan city. You might liken it to maybe San Francisco or one of those big cities. It's pretty pagan and even hostile to Christianity in many respects. Well, that's what Paul was dealing with in Corinth, and he went there. He preached the gospel. He saw people get saved, God blessed. He ended up being a, planting a church there and basically being a pastor for almost two years in Corinth. Small group of people that uh, believed, responded, and they got saved out of paganism. They got saved out of rabid idolatry and a gross sexual immorality that they'd been raised in from generation to generation, just rooted in their DNA, and it was hard to overcome. They had major hang-ups and hangovers from their pagan worldview. So Paul had a huge monumental task on his hands as he's trying to disciple these new believers out of paganism. Very difficult. That's why when you read First and Second Corinthians, uh, it, you can tell Paul, Paul's having a struggle these people have hang-ups. They're Christians, but they got a lot of hang-ups. They got a lot of problems. They got a lot of deviant behavior. They got a lot of wrong attitudes. Sounds kind of like us, huh? That's why the Bible is so practical. It's for us. Well, this was a second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is how he concludes this very long letter. Remember, he's their former pastor. He's been away now. He was there for two years, planted the church. Most of them got saved through his ministry. Now he's gone. He's been part for a few years and writes this letter of encouragement, love, but also rebuke. And here's the last thing that he says. So maybe it's the last thing he wants ringing in their mind and in their memory. Because a lot of times the, you know, the last thing we hear is the thing that stays with us the most or the longest, or that we give priority to. And so as he's concluding his letter, he gives another command. It's got all kinds of commands, but here's a command. It's an imperative. It's a mandate. He's speaking as an apostle sent by God. It's not just Paul, a man. It's not human opinion. He is there. He is writing formally as a representative, an ambassador of the God of the universe. This is the word of God. This is binding. That's how we're supposed to heed this and understand chapter 13. The very words of God. And he gives this command in verse 5. He's assuming that they're Christians. But he doesn't know that they are. Only God knows the heart. But it is a church. Professing Christians, the gathering of the saints. And verse 5, he says, test yourselves. Test yourselves if you are in the faith. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Test yourself. Stop. Pause. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith means test yourself to see if you're a Christian. Test yourself to see if you're born again. Test yourself to see if you're truly regenerate and actually know God personally. Test, and he's emphatic here because he repeats the imperative. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. And then the New American Standard has appropriately an exclamation point at the end. So that one verse has two commands or imperatives or obligations that God speaks to anybody that professes to be a Christian. This is a command. This is, this is the equivalent of the Ten Commandments. Everybody talks about the Ten Commandments and how important they are. Well, here's a commandment. It's just as important. It's just as much expected for us to obey. Test yourselves 
Look at verse 5. The word test and examine. It's interesting that those are two Greek words. They're different words, but they're synonyms. But they have a different nuance to complement one another. So it's an emphatic command. If you're a Christian this morning or if you profess to be a Christian, this is a command from God to you, not from Pastor Cliff. This is from Almighty God who created you, and if you're saved, it's the Savior who saved you, and this is what he wants you to do. You could call this a spiritual discipline. In other words, this is something that every Christian needs to do regularly in their life, present tense, continually in an ongoing, regular manner. Make this a habit of your life. As a Christian, you should routinely be testing yourself and examining yourself, not others, yourself. Just as much as you're commanded to do other commands, like praying. Yeah, we should always be praying. Serving, gathering with the saints, having fellowship, being involved in discipleship, evangelizing the lost, giving in worship singing songs, going to church, all these other uh, things that we say are regular, ongoing spiritual disciplines and commands that God expects, put this on the list. We should, in an ongoing manner, be testing ourselves and examining ourselves. Two very specific words uh, that Paul uses, and it, the emphasis there is on an intellectual evaluation, using your mind that God has given you. So it's not an emotional evaluation. It's not an experiential evaluation. It's an intellectual using your reason that God has given you. It's a thoughtful evaluation that's inherent in the very words that are used here. Scrutinize yourself. Examine yourself. For what purpose? To see if you are in the faith. The faith. Well, what does that mean? To see if you believe? Well, the faith is more objective in this regard. It's uh, to see if your life is consistent with what the Bible teaches. The faith. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. So that's what you need to do is compare, examine your life, compare it with Scripture of what the Bible outlines and says the profile of a Christian is, and then you match your life up against that, and you do a self-evaluation. Basically, you're seeking to see if you are even saved. Am I a Christian? So that's clearly what he's talking about, because he says, okay, if you call yourself a Christian, and you go to church, then test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, the Christian faith. Examine yourselves, so he's emphatic about it, you can't forsake this. If you don't do this, Christian, you're being disobedient. If you don't do this, that is sinful. If you don't do this, you need to repent and ask God for forgiveness and to help you to do this. That's what that means. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, or do you not recognize this about yourselves as you think it through, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So you're looking to see if you are truly born again, a regenerate Christian. If you are a Christian, you have this Jesus Christ living in you, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because Paul says in Romans 8, if you don't have the Spirit living in you, you are not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you don't have the Spirit of God living in you. So that's uh, one area where we're going to try to examine our life. Am I a Christian? That's, that's the first thing in the evaluation, is what are we evaluating to see? What's the goal? What are we trying to determine? Step number one, to determine whether you truly are a Christian or not. Then the next thing we're going to do is we're going to continue to evaluate ourselves from Scripture. And we're confident, okay, I am a believer. Now we're going to evaluate, well, how am I doing in the Christian life? How am I doing in the walk uh, that God has given to me through salvation? And, and how am I doing it in light of what Scripture requires of me as a Christian? So I want us to turn our eyes and our focus off of others. And it's going to be on ourselves with God's help to fulfill a biblical mandate. So... Uh, that's the idea, is taking spiritual inventory, evaluating ourselves, fulfilling a biblical command.
command, literally a biblical discipline. With God's help. All I've got, I've got four questions for you that we'll walk through today. And then uh, number five, a wrap-up point. And we're, we're going to move rather quickly. That's why I typed out most of the verses here for you. So we can make good use of our time together. Four questions to help us to lay the foundation in our several-week quest of evaluating ourselves. Question number one. Are you ready? Do you have your seatbelt on? Are you ready? Here we go. Somebody said, well, we're, we're going to do it anyway. Here we go. Question number one. Now, I want you to answer this in your own heart. I put a blank there. But just I, want, I literally want you to meditate on this after I read the question because I want you to think about it. When was the last time you formally, comprehensively evaluated your spiritual condition if you call yourself a Christian? And I mean comprehensively, meaning all the spiritual disciplines that are required of a Christian that are mandated in the Bible, there's a lot. There's a lot. And we're going to go through most of them, the priority ones. How are you doing? Are you walking in the Spirit? How's your giving to God on a regular basis? To the church, to His church. How's discipleship going? You discipling anybody? Who's discipling you? How's your prayer life? How's your public prayer life? How's your private prayer life? How's your daily private prayer life? How's your daily time in God's Word? All these spiritual disciplines. How's your ministry at the local church? What ministry do you serve? So that's what I mean by comprehensive. Not leaving anything out. And maybe you'll forget something and we're going to add it in here as we go and we're just going to take it straight from Scripture. Evaluation. Comprehensive evaluation. Maybe some of you have never, and I mean comprehensive, but I also mean formal. Literally taking time away silently by yourself, isolating yourself before Almighty God, Scripture in hand, and thinking through all of these areas of life, all the commands of Scripture, uh, as best as you possibly can, being objective about your life, where you're at in life, what's gone on in the last year of your life, the last five years of your life, uh, or since the time you got saved as a Christian, what's the trajectory look like in light of all these requirements from God? Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked those questions? Many, many godly dear saints, as they get older, people we admire, people we respect, a routine question they feel is, uh, boy, you've been pastor, pastor John MacArthur, maybe. You've been a pastor all these years. Uh, what advice can you give us? Many times they'll say, well, I wish I would have stopped, paused, and reflected more. Stopped, paused, and reflected more. On my own life. In the midst of it. Before it's too late. That's what this is. So when was the last time you formally, comprehensively evaluated your spiritual condition in every conceivable area of life in light of Scripture? Maybe some of you are thinking, ah, I can't remember. I mean, if there's just one area that you thought of, yeah, every once in a while I'm reflective about, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about full court press, every area of life in a serious manner. Even those areas in your life that you don't even want to think about. Even those areas in your life you don't want to talk about. Even those areas in life you're trying to hide from somebody. Uh, We need to shine the spotlight on those too. So when was the last time? So maybe some of you is like, well, uh, I've never really done this. I know Christians who have never done this because they've told me, because I've asked. 
that's okay. If you're a believer, now we're trying to do it together and hold each other accountable to do this. Very important spiritual discipline. Usually what we do when we're preaching on Sunday is we're doing expository preaching. So Derek's going through Hebrews. I'm going through Luke. Or I could be going through 2 Corinthians. And typically what we do is say I'm preaching through 2 Corinthians 13. And, oh, today I'm doing chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And I spend 50 minutes, sometimes 62 minutes, explaining the meaning of the passage. Oh, here's what the passage means. Here's the context. Context. Uh, and then we run across uh, verse 5. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Oh, by the way, it's two Greek words. They're kind of synonymous. Uh, Dokimazo and prazo, blah, 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 blah. And then, okay, see you next Sunday. Now, that's essential because you have to know the understanding or the meaning of the text. Absolutely vitally important. But what I'm doing here for the next three weeks is we're stopping on one verse, one mandate, one command, and we're digging down deep. Not just to understand it, to apply, to actually do what it says. Because a lot of times, the pastor, most of the time, the pastor explains the command, good luck, tell me how it goes, maybe you'll remember this after lunch today. No, this is doing it together. Vitally important. I think it's going to be beneficial. So maybe some of you have never done this in your life. Maybe some of you, yeah, I've done it occasionally or maybe not as comprehensively as I would like. Or That's okay. And maybe some of you do this on a regular basis. That's to your benefit if you do because it's a command. Just keep that in mind. Well, why are we doing this, Pastor Cliff? It's a command. It's right there in the Bible. It's from God. God is telling us to do this. We need to do it. Which brings us to number two. Why should we spiritually evaluate ourselves? Several answers. We'll go quickly. Because God commands it. I've made that point emphatically. So this is a matter of obedience. Why are we doing this? Because God commands it. So it is a matter of obedience. And this isn't the only place where it's commanded in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, Paul says, A man or a woman, a Christian, must examine himself on a regular basis. You must. We must. James 1.22, prove yourselves. Prove your, that means test yourself. What does that mean? Evaluate yourself. Stop, pause, and evaluate yourself. How are you doing? Not your neighbor, not your spouse, not a sibling, not a coworker, not somebody at church. James 1.22, prove yourselves, examine yourselves, evaluate yourself. Specifically, prove yourselves doers of the word. Doers of the word, doers of scripture. Obedient to Scripture, fulfilling Scripture, obeying God's commands. Prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And what an important verse, John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, and many profess to love Jesus, and as many people do today. One of the churches I visited while I was gone, the pastor kept saying there are 200 million Christians in America. I'm thinking, no, there's not. Where are you getting your statistics? There's only 350 million people in America. Uh, Jesus said the, the way is, you know, in the gate, narrow. And if you look around, it's narrow. There aren't 200 million Christians, probably. One of the ways that you know if you're a believer or not, the words of Jesus, John 14, 15. If you love me, if you are committed to me, if you truly believe me, if you're truly regenerate, if you're really serious about my lordship, 
It's real simple. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't obey Jesus Christ on a regular basis, maybe you're not saved. And again, God, he's the only one that knows the heart. But there is fruit out there that's being given off. But God knows. So why should we spiritually evaluate ourselves? It's a command from Almighty God. Uh, why else should we evaluate ourselves? Be to avoid being deceived as a preventative measure to evaluate. As a preventative measure. Many times we evaluate ourselves, not as a preventative measure, but for, as triage after the damage has been done. Somebody got caught in some kind of sin. They got exposed. They're a professing Christian. And it's just a heinous, horrible, terrible mess of whatever it is, some kind of uh, trouble they've got themselves in, some kind of immorality, and lives are shattered all over the place. And, and then people begin to evaluate and begin to start taking spiritual inventory after it's too late. Triage, assessing the damage and the destruction that's been done. That needs to happen, but we can do it before that happens in a preventative measure. So I think the benefit here is to avoid being deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, Paul says, do not be deceived. There's another command, do not be deceived. Wow, how do you do that? How do you go about making sure you're not deceived? Because if you're deceived, you don't know that you're deceived. So how in the world can you fulfill this command? That's impossible. Do not be deceived. Well, Paul gives us the answer in that context. He says, stop being deceived is what he meant. That's literally the Greek text. Stop being deceived. You are deceived, Corinthian Christians. And I'll tell you what you're deceived about. And then he lists all these sexual uh, sins that they were buying into or being deceived by their culture. Uh, do not be deceived. Homosexuals do not enter the kingdom of God. What were they being deceived about? About sexuality and homosexuality and LGBTQ2, whatever it is. Really. Stop being deceived by the culture and the world. You're being misled. It's damning. It's destructive. It's dangerous. And God has the solution. So we can avoid being deceived in some areas if we take spiritual inventory as a spiritual discipline on a regular basis. Very helpful. A very sad verse, Matthew 7, 21 to 23 where Jesus, this is a prophecy, this is actually going to happen still. Even though Jesus proclaimed this at the top of his lungs uh, to a crowd of thousands and then had it published in the Bible where it's preached on and talked about for 2,000 years now, it's still going to be fulfilled just as he said. It's a warning, and it's a prophecy, and here's what Jesus said. At the end of the age, the very end of the age, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Not, not everybody who says they're a believer is a believer. Not everybody who sits in church is regenerate and born again. Jesus said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. And notice, Lord, Lord, that's a, uh, a verbal, personal commitment of allegiance to Jesus' sovereignty. They're not like out of the streets, ditching church all the time, in the bars and in the nightlife. They have a profession to Jesus Christ as Lord. That sounds good. They talk the talk. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who obeys, who heeds my command, who submits to my authority, because they love me. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. So one of the ways we evaluate ourselves through spiritual inventory is looking at the commands of God and how we do them. And what do I think of those commands? And the saddest part of this verse, I think, is verse 22. Uh, not... Everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, main one being believe in Jesus Christ as Lord in a legitimate way, 
will enter heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day. At the end of the judgment, many will say to me. This means many people will be spiritually deceived. Many. Maybe many didn't stop and pause and take spiritual inventory and do an objective analysis of themselves in light of Scripture. And they stand before the throne of Jesus Christ, literally thinking, they are a Christian, they are a believer, they're going to heaven. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're not. This is the scariest verse probably in the Bible. Many will say to me on that day, judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? You know, Judas did every one of those. Judas, son of the devil, did every one of those. He was never saved. But then I will declare to you, Jesus says, I never knew you. I never loved you. I never had a relationship with you. That's what he means. You were never one of mine. You were never truly regenerate and born again. You were never adopted into the family of God. You were never forgiven and reconciled with Almighty God. You had an outward profession, and that was it. And you have been deceived ever since. I never knew you. Leave me. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, wickedness, and then they will depart into eternal hell forever. It's frightening. To avoid, so why should we be evaluating ourselves spiritually to avoid being deceived? Letter C, why else are we doing this? To expose dangerous blind spots which undermine our growth. We all have blind spots. We need other people to tell us about them and warn us and say, hey, you got a blind spot here. You're not seeing this. You're deceived. You're wrong. That's dangerous. Don't go there. Get back here. Don't deviate, and we all have a tendency prone to wonder, says the song. Prone to wander, says the old hymn. I am prone, because of sin that lives in me, to wander, to deviate, to be a straying sheep. I need people to help me. I need a shepherd. I need other sheep to grab my tail and pull me back. Hey, you're going off the tracks here. We're all susceptible to that, every single one of us. Galatians 6.1 says that. James chapter 1 says that. James chapter 5 says that. We're all susceptible. We're all vulnerable We all have blind spots. We all have things about us we don't see. That's one of the biggest blessings of marriage is then your spouse who becomes one flesh with you and knows you best, and they're like a mirror to you. And you don't like what you see many times. Hey, I don't like that. Wait, it's the truth. That's what you look like. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. You know how that goes. That's actually a blessing from God. So we need to be willing to listen to other people and take heed and take warning so that we might see our blind spots. We all stumble in many ways, James said, so we need to own that. Why are we doing this? Letter D, to expose areas of compromise that cause destruction or loss of eternal reward. Some Christians, you might be real Christians right now, you're born again. This, is, this could be true of any one of us, but at any given time, um, you are, you're sinking. You're sinking and your head is barely above water and you're drowning in the Christian life because you're snagged up on something and you're not telling anybody and you're not crying out for help and you're, you're keeping it a secret and you're coddling sin and you're doing it in isolation and in the dark. That's the terminology used in Galatians 6.1. Hey, you who are spiritual, if you, if you run into another believer or realize that they are caught up in some transgression, help them. Caught up. It's like they're snagged up. It's like when you go fishing and you throw your water in the line, and you, you can't pull it out because it got caught on a stick or it caught on a rock, and you can't pull it. You need help. And many times, uh, 
people who are drowning because of a compromise in their life from whatever it is. They're stealing money on the side, keeping it a secret. They've got uh, some liaison of a relationship that's illegitimate outside of marriage on the side, and they're keeping it secret. Uh, one of the dominant sins in this area today is pornography. And people are caught up, and they need help. And they know they're drowning, but they need help. They need accountability. Uh, that's what this can do. Spiritual inventory, if you're honest, it can help prevent that or help rescue from that so that you can continue on the path of growth. Why are we doing this? E, it's just healthy. This is a healthy spiritual discipline. You obey, God will bless. You'll, you'll open up all your arteries and veins to allow spiritual nutrition to revive you once again and bring health uh, to your whole spiritual life. And in doing so, there's a keeping of great reward, Psalm 1911. Uh, why are we evaluating ourselves? Well, other godly people did it, and they modeled how to do it. Job evaluated himself. He prayed in chapter 13, verse 23, to God, God, make known to me my rebellion and my sin. Wow! When's the last time you prayed that prayer? Dear, dear Father, make known to me my rebellion and my sin. Now, Jesus did say in Matthew 6 to pray about our sin, right? Forgive us our sin. But this prayer of Job goes a little deeper. God, make known to me my rebellion and my sin. A lot of times we don't want to hear that, do we? You pray that prayer to God, you know, and you're sincere about it, he'll answer it. And it could be ugly. It could be ugly, but it'll be healthy. David prayed this way all the time in the Psalms. God, examine me, O Lord. Examine me, same word, but this one's in Hebrew. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test me, test my mind, test my thoughts, test my heart. Test areas that I can't even evaluate myself. If there's any hidden sin in my life, expose it. David had a lot of problems and did sin, but he, he loved God. And he asked for God's help at the most basic fundamental level. Gee, why are we doing this? To give us balance in our Christian life. Evaluating ourselves, it's a balanced thing to do. Because most time we're out of balance. We're out, out of kilter, to be honest. We all know that. To give us balance and get our focus off evaluating others, because we're professionals at that. Some people think they have the spiritual gift of that. What's your spiritual gift? Giving. What's your spiritual gift? Evaluating others. Oh, I'm staying away from you. <laughs> to give us balance and get our focus off evaluating others, which we do naturally all the time. We know that because we know ourselves if we're honest. And there are just commands all over Scripture saying, stop judging other people all the time. Stop it. Like Matthew 7, 1 and 3, Jesus said that. Do not judge other people, especially their motives. Only God knows the motives in the heart. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite? James 4.11, same thing. Do not speak against one another, meaning do not judge your fellow Christians. Who are you to judge your neighbor? You're not God. You're not the judge. Stop. So that's a command to God to all of us. That's our tendency. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. What do they do? They're fools and blind men because they just they're about judging other people all the time. They're hypocrites. Don't do that. Number three, how do we examine or test ourselves spiritually? This is real simple. It's all about asking God. That's what David did. God, help me. Help me test myself. James 1 says, you need help from God? Ask him for wisdom, believing in faith and according to God's word, and he will answer that prayer. So we, we will be asking God's help as we go through this evaluation of ourselves. We ask for God's help. We ask for God's wisdom. We ask for his direction. 
We ask for the proper people to bring into our life to give us objective feedback. Um, how else do we test ourselves? B, ask God to test you, literally, deliberately, specifically in your prayer time. God, test me, examine me, because he's really the only objective, perfect judge who can do that. And God uses his word, and he uses other people as they use his word. C, use the scripture as the standard. We're going to be using the Bible, not human tradition or man's opinion. It's the objective standard of the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 actually is the key verse. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 for 3C, using God's word as the standard as we evaluate ourselves. And then D, we, will, we need to ask key questions from those who know us best. To ask your spouse, how am I doing in the fruits of the Spirit? Here, here's a list of the nine fruits of the Spirit, dear honey. Let's sit down for an hour and tell me how I'm doing in all nine of the fruits of the Spirit. Boy, that's dangerous. That could spoil lunch in a hurry. But that's how honest and vulnerable we need to be. Asking those questions, number four, why don't Christians evaluate themselves regularly or at all? I, I tried to glean these from Scripture, but also personal experience. I think there's an issue of ignorance. People haven't been taught on it, haven't been encouraged or exhorted to do it, grew up in a church that didn't teach on it, didn't grow up in the church, haven't read this passage in the Bible, 2 Corinthians Never been held, B, they've never been challenged or held accountable to do this very thing. Um, some Christians, letter C, they live in isolation. And, I mean, they could be a single person, but maybe, maybe they're not single. Maybe they're married and they still live in isolation. You can do that. You can be married, have family members, and still live in isolation. You've got a secret world going on. You're not going to let anybody cross the threshold into your private secret life. Dangerous. It is not good for a man or a woman to be alone, God said. Uh, some Christians might be, or professing Christians, just lazy, apathetic, coasting through the Christian life. Like in Matthew 25, Jesus literally called them, you're lazy. You're not a Christian at all. You're just lazy. That was the word he used. Um, e, some Christians don't think they need to be evaluated or do self-evaluation, and it's based on bad theology, and that comes in many forms. It's like, oh, I, I, I've been, I'm saved, all my sins are forgiven. Washed by the blood. I don't need to stop and reflect. Washed by the blood. You hear that sometimes. Or letter F, you could add. Some people are just prideful. They resist evaluation. They resist scrutiny. They resist accountability. The Bible calls that person a fool. And then finally, number five. Uh, common mistakes regarding self-evaluation. Uh, you can go to one or two extremes. One is you become so... Uh, self-absorbed in evaluating yourself that it becomes either legalistic or you become hyper-overly critical of yourself. And an Ill That's why you need the Bible as the standard. So the Bible is the key because that gives us objectivity. It gives us the balance and the standard. Uh, but it's easy to become to abuse this. Legalists love to do this, by the way, this practice, because then they evaluate themselves and, oh, man, I'm pretty good. And then they start evaluating everybody else based on their evaluation. So let's avoid legalism as we do this and fulfill the biblical command. So I'm not going to give you a list of do this, do that, like Colossians 2 says, to avoid. And then B, uh, the other extreme is a person can be unaware of their own weaknesses. So they're like libertarian. They're exercising license. Uh, they don't see their own blind spots. They don't have a legitimate evaluation of themselves anyway. 
So we need to avoid those two extremes. Uh, extremes. Uh, people, letter C, people don't use the Bible as the only standard for the spiritual evaluation. That's very important. That's the priority, actually. Because when you ask, God, test me, evaluate me. How does he do that? He only does it one. It's through the Bible. He's not going to talk to you audibly from heaven. He may bring a circumstance into your life to expose something. He may bring somebody else into your life to help you with the evaluation. But the only thing they're using as a tool is the Bible, the Word of God. That's the only objective standard. So there it is. We've laid the foundation. Now next week, we're going to just dive right in to look at the priorities of the Christian life. And I'll just tell you right now, what are we going to be evaluating? Very specifically, commands in Scripture... And the emphasis isn't going to be on the externals of doing stuff, but it's going to be on the internal attitudes of the heart. That's the priority. That's true spirituality. As it is manifest in words, thoughts, actions, and deeds. That will be the fruit of it, but that won't be the root of it. With that, let's go ahead and uh, commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for welcoming us back. And just a reminder, on uh, as we have a song, as we have our closing song, that we'll, we'll go ahead and take our love offering for the Thompson family. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for our time together, the Lord's Day, this, this very important time that you've set aside for your saints all over the world to announce to the world that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's the living Lord. And we celebrate that on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, giving you all the praise, all the glory. Father, uh, bring to remembrance with your Holy Spirit and through other means. So many scriptures we've looked at this morning as we have to depend upon you to fulfill a basic biblical command of self-evaluation. It is not easy. It can be scary. We have sin living in us. It's shameful. But your grace is sufficient. Your Holy Spirit who lives in us is sufficient. He's the comforter. So we want to lean on Him. We want to lean on Your Word and Your truth. And we trust that You use it as a time for allowing growth in our life that pleases You. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.